Welcome everyone to The Whole Truth. This episode is gonna be about client segmentation. It's a part of our broader series around building a proactive service model, or said another way, setting a minimum standard of care for your business. There are four parts to this. The first is segmentation, which we're gonna to cover today. The second is building a service matrix. The third involves breaking out contacts over time. And finally, we go over processes that you'll use in implementation. Kurt and I will have a variety of different discussions. We'll go on a few tangents, which we're, we're apt to do, particularly around this subject, but keep the focus on client segmentation, which will be your key takeaway. Ready, everyone? Let's do it. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth from the Bay Area, California. I am Steve Side, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host from Atlanta, Mr. Kurt Dupuy. Hey, Steve. How are we doing over there? We're doing well, man. We're doing well. So looking forward to getting to, to this. As we mentioned in the last episode, we're going to be jumping into client service. And we talked about some of these concepts, but let's summarize. So again, this client service series is going to be broken down into a few different structures depending on where you want to go. And so let's let's create and just review those definitions again. So first is minimum standard of care versus differentiation. Minimum standard of care is just setting up a very basic proactive service model. So if you want to set up the basics of how you interact and touch and service your clients, how do you do that in a proactive way? Differentiation, which we'll get into the future, not now, is if you want to be really the top of the top in this industry, if you want to create an experience that's different than what folks are getting anywhere else, and that'll be a whole other series. So Kurt, why don't you kind of quickly again summarize uh, Supernova? Sure. So quick reminder, Supernova is, is a book written by Rob Knapp, who is a former executive at Merrill Lynch. And the whole idea is you have to get smaller to get bigger. So you have to trim clients. Don't offer a first class and a coach. You really just offer the first class. So anyone that doesn't fit that criteria is not going to be a part of the practice going forward. And you just you service the heck out of those clients and and hope that you find more like that. That's the Supernova approach. We're going to get into to that in more detail and how you can go that route if that is appealing to you. But we want to contrast that with what I think we'd call just the standard approach, which is having tiers of different clients that do have slightly different service levels and levels of attention and, and your time, which would you agree, Steve? Mo most people gravitate towards that more standard way of thinking about segmentation, right? Yeah, because I think, you know, the way I think about Supernova, and maybe this is just in my head, is it it does require a pretty robust change, you know, really shrinking the book. I mean, I think the most of the FAs that I come across, you know, we, we, they could cut a client here or there, tinker around the edges, but they're not looking to wholesale cut the book. So that's why we're starting in this way. We want to start in the, the, the case that's most relevant to people. Yeah, and, and we, we don't care. We're completely agnostic. Doesn't matter. Yep. But, and you read, you read Rob's books, Plenty of people have success with with that model, and so we're going to get it. It's worth discussing, but what we find more often than not is is the standard type of thinking about clients is is appropriate. And just just to give a little bit more more structure about what standard looks like, let's say you want to have 
A, B, and C clients or gold, silver, bronze, you know, you can call them whatever you want, but you're really fleshing out, okay, my golds are going to get this number of talking points. My silvers are going to get this number of touches per year. We're going to define what types of touches in call, in person, webinar. Um, so really thinking through each of those tiers and, and what that service looks like. That's that's where we're going with this. Yeah. And so Kurt's starting where I was going to go next and and that's in the process. So it starts with segmentation, which we're going to you know, cover and start to get into in this episode. What he mentioned right there was the service matrix. How do you touch your clients? What are the different types of touches? That tends to be a pretty good discussion too, because you can get yeah. pretty creative about, you know, what those touches look exactly. like. And, and technology helps yeah. a lot or it's, technology can help a lot with that, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable with it. A hundred percent. So that's a service matrix. So then you've got, you know, you've got your tiers, you've got your number of touches and type, but then this is the critical part because implementation and processes are everything. It's like, when do you actually do those touches? You've got to break them out over time in a way that you can do them and it doesn't like massively disrupt your business. And this is where people run into problems. They, they say, okay, we want to do all these touches, but they have no idea when they're going to do them and business gets in the way and they fall behind. But if you can actually map that out over time, you know, that's how you get someplace. Well, not just map it out, but include it in, you know, you and your support staff's process, right? Whether exactly. it's an Outlook invite, yeah. whether whether it's hard copy paper that's on your desk every morning when you get on, you know, there's multiple yeah. ways to skin this cat. But if, if you're not executing on the development of the ideas, it's really all for naught. And really all of this, I, I think framework that we talk about a lot is A, discovery. That's just understand like, what do we want to accomplish? B, plan it out, think through it, put it on paper. But then C is the critical part. It's the execution. If you're not able to execute, again, what are we doing here? Exactly right. But I can tell you this. When you get to the end of this and you implement it from the design of the model to the implementation, it will absolutely 100% change your life for the better. And I know Kurt and I have both had this feedback. I don't know how I operated before without this. You know yeah. what I mean? So, you know, once you've thought thought through, you've developed a game plan, you get to execution, you don't have to do the whole thing at one time, right? right. If, you're, if you're tearing yeah. out clients, A, B, and C, we'll just stick with that structure. Start with your A's. Heck, start with your C's. We, we don't care. But if it's, if it's more digestible to take a certain portion and implement it with those folks, and then six months later, add another tier, and six months later, add another tier, you know, there, there's no deadline on this. It's just important to have a plan and stick to it. Okay. So in summary, here's the process. Segmentation, service matrix, mapping out the timing of those contacts, and most importantly, the processes and implementation. That's where we're going to go. And we're going to come back uh, in the next segment and talk about the first one, which is segmentation. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back, everybody. We're going to get into segmentation right now. We'll echo over and over again simplicity and staging and things like that. There's a over million, and over and over, over again. and over. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a million different ways to to segment clients, and and we both come across resources that said, oh, here's 15 ways to segment your clients. You don't need to do it, or or your firm does it for you, and you still don't use it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but to, in my mind, the very very basic way to segment around um, a few key categories is all you need. There is no benefit 
to, to making things over complex here. Here are the categories that I use to segment. And then Kurt, you can throw in a couple of other things if people want to consider. But this is what works for me and has worked for my clients over time. Revenue, or however you measure that at your firm in terms of your production. Relationship. Do you like talking to that client? Do they take your advice versus those you duck and cover when they call? And the last thing is opportunity or upside. So some way to capture the future potential of that client. That is pretty much where I stop. All we're doing is combining in quantitative and qualitative metrics. You know, it's really easy just to say clients with revenues above a certain point, those are my A clients, the next tier, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's all well and good, but that doesn't take into account qualitative stuff. Like, hey, I'm member of the same club of this, as this person. We play tennis together. I like this person. We vacation together. They're a really good reference center for me, good COI. You know, there's there's a number of qualitative type things that we can and actually have. We've we've built out in, that in spreadsheets when we when we use this tool that we'll talk about with with clients that we can get as granular as you want. I think particularly you side, I think what you found out is less is more. And so it's important to have some sort of qualitative reference in this process, but there's no need to get more sophisticated than that. Yep. And so we have, so we've got a tool for this and you could reach out to us at the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com. If you want to do it on your own, I'll walk through exactly how to do it. So you want to open up an Excel sheet you want to kind of grab all your different household or account names. You want to dump those names into the spreadsheet. Next to that column, you want to put revenue or PCs or you know whatever the way that you that you recognize it. So then you've got your revenue and you've got your clients. But then you want to have two blank columns next to it. And those blank columns should say relationship and they should say upside. And so what we like to do is on each of those metrics, we score one to four. So it doesn't matter which direction you go, just be consistent. But let's say one is the best, four in, in, is the worst. So let's take um, relationship. Our one client, in this case being the best, our clients that are ones are exactly what Kurt described. I've got a great relationship. They take my advice. I love talking to them. They don't bother my assistants. That is a one. A four is the exact opposite of that. You're tougher situations. And listen, two or threes, you got to draw the line somewhere. So in your mind, you know, and sometimes people work with this on their assistants too. Yeah. This is an art, not a science kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, just draw the lines, right? You know, you sort of, it, it doesn't And importantly, ask your CSA of their their input because they, they are yeah. going to have wildly different ones and fours than you probably are. That's exactly right. And the same thing with upside, you know, who are those clients where you're like, you know, there's a really big potential there versus the one on the bottom, like fours that um, may not be as much and you split the difference. And so that's kind of how you go through and do those qualitative metrics on the revenue side. So you've got your revenue. You've still got to draw the lines here. What we see in most books is there's a couple that are higher above everybody else, your best, 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 most profitable clients. They shouldn't be your only A's. You should go down further than that and try to, again, just draw the line and say above X revenue are my A's, below X revenue are my bottom tier, and then you draw in the middle. Has that been your experience, Kurt? Yeah. And, and what we're saying is, let's say you have five clients that you know, have very large accounts and revenues are north of $25,000. It would be very easy just to say, oh, well, my top tier is those five people and that's it. Yep. 
What we're saying is widen your view of that top tier and continue to service the heck out of those because chances are whatever that stack rank looks like, you're six to 15, there's going to be some gold mines in there that had you not been servicing at the highest level that you could opportunities you might've missed out on. So yeah, you have to do that. It's, it's really, really important. So if you're following along with us now, what you have is you've got your revenue one through four, you've got your relationship one through four, you've got your upside one through four. Now you got to weight those categories. Some people do it equal weight. Some people weight revenue higher. Kurt, what's your experience in terms of weighting? Do you see more people just do it equally? Or, I mean, what, what are your thoughts here? Or, or how do you think about it? I think most people tend to put a stronger, heavier weight towards the economics yep. be- because most people recognize they're, they're running businesses here. But I, I think that that qualitative part is always an interesting part of the discovery process because you really get to understand how the advisor thinks qualitatively about their clients. And and do most people – I mean, if if you are perhaps a very good communicator and you have a very tight-knit group of clients, maybe they all take your advice. Maybe you don't have any bad clients. So the qualitative nature may not be more important. You want to look at it purely by the numbers. But if you've got 150 households – and a wide array of backgrounds, a wide array of ages, that qualitative is going to be more and more important, at least based on, on what I've seen. Yep, exactly right. The two most common are equal weighting. That's just saying, listen, these are all important, so we're not even going to bother with a weighting system. The other way is where people overweight revenue first. So it's something like 50% is the revenue, 25, 25, something that looks like that. Okay. So whichever you choose, you've got your scores, you've got your weightings. Now you're actually at the point after you do that math where you've got the scores for your total households. And just like you did for the individual categories, you draw lines. You say above a certain threshold of of client score are my A's, below a certain threshold are my D's. Now, a couple things here. After it's done, give it the logic check because you shouldn't have too many A's. You shouldn't have too few A's. You should look at individual households and say, like it's almost like a spot check. Should this person be a B? Should this person be an A? Because at that point, if the answer to no is some of that, you can make some adjustments to your scoring yeah. to make. It's like the human overlay, right? Like this, yeah, this, exactly. is all, this is all kind of spreadsheet logic we're talking about, but make sure your own eyeballs are getting over it and it makes logical sense. Yep. So once you kind of put your final touches, you've got your segments. Doesn't have to be complicated, but this is a very logical way to do it. And now that we have our A's, B's, C's, and D's, we can figure out what do we actually want to do with these people. And uh, we'll help you walk through that in the next episode, but wanted to spend this time on, on segmentation. Think about what we've just described. We've described how to take a little bit of information, data, and how to organize it in Excel. At the end of the day, this is not earth-shattering stuff. But 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 here's the gap in our role in the world and the clients that we work with. You know, there there might be a gap in the use of technology. There might be a gap in knowing what what best practices are, and that those are the gaps that we're trying to close. So whether you hear us describe this process and you can go on Excel and you can build this in the next three minutes. Awesome. I hope this has been a a useful thought exercise for you. If not, reach out to us, email us at the whole truth at touchstonefunds.com and we'll help walk you through this. What does this time commitment look like to really put a thoughtful 
segmentation exercise through a, a practice, Steve? What what is this? Time it, it's not crazy. I mean, obviously the the revenue part is super easy. You're talking a few minutes where we're just drawing lines. The part on relationship and upside, that's where you, you kind of got to go client by client. But this is not something you need to spend hours and hours on. Under an hour? Yeah, you could definitely. I, do I, I think that that's that's fair. Again, be as robust and as much in the weeds as you want to. But but if you're spending over over an hour doing this, I, I think that sort of misses the spirit of it because this is really it's taking a thought exercise and putting some numbers and some structure around it. Is all is all it is. So yeah, I hope this has been been useful and I hope you can I hope you can build this yourself or or if not reach out to us and and we'll we'll be happy to walk you through how we do it. And that's the takeaway. The takeaway is you should go and segment your clients and do it in this way or or relook at the segmentation if you've done it before but uh but that's what we want you to do as a starting point to this whole world of of client service. So with that we're going to close up here. Uh we'll come back with our Costanza corner. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Casanza Corner. I just wanted to share a story from my own experience that'll tell you a little bit more about me and hopefully will have the same effect in terms of being uplifting. So animal welfare is something that's really, really important to me. I met my wife volunteering at the animal shelter. You know, there's, it's just, we spend a lot of time with animal charities and things. By the way, that doesn't mean we hate humans, right? You get that from some people. It's just like, these are some of the things that, that, that we care about. And a couple of weeks ago, my mother's old dog passed away. You know, she was 18 years old. It was her time. And that's sad. You know, we knew this dog for a really, really long time. But, you know, that quickly, not quickly, but over time transitions into something that that becomes amazing because my probably my favorite thing to do or one of my favorite things to do is to go into an animal shelter, pick out a dog and walk that dog out for the last time. And I typically look for dogs that that need it whether it's, you know, older dogs or just folks, you know, a dog that's been there for a long time and it's just such a profound experience. I did that, you know, I live in in the Bay Area, North Bay actually, and I drove out to Fresno, which is in the Central Valley, and I drove out there because that's the part of the state that needs it more, that just struggles with, you know, the, the number of dogs that they get in. And so we drove down there and I got into this animal shelter, which I knew needed it. And I said, show me to your dogs that have been here the longest. And we went back and looked at a couple. We needed to make sure, you know, it's for my parents. So there are certain qualifications, but I just wanted to share that with you all, because I hope at some point in your life, you get to experience the immense joy uh, of walking out with a dog and taking it out of the shelter, you know, for the last time and coming to a permanent home. There really is no reason why we need to have the levels of, of euthanasia that we do in this country, but there's a lot of progress being made on that front. And, uh, you know, it was just an amazingly joyful experience for me. Yeah. And I, and I, I'd say you've been one of those people that have put me over the edge because we don't own any animals. I think I'm more in the business of accumulating children at this point and, yeah. and less less so on the animals, but but one day we will get back there. And I think we'd go that route too, just hearing some of the stories that, that you've had in, in accumulating both animals and, and, and a kid. Yeah. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense to me. 
Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I, I always give the advice. People say, oh, you know, I want this kind of dog or that kind of dog. And I, I don't want to talk people out of it. But I will say, go in there with an open mind. Sometimes you get this amazing- Yeah, uh, try it. Mixed breed or like, you know, yeah. you don't even know. Just interact with the dogs. I promise they'll be- so a dog that's been there for a while that just needs a shot. And uh, yeah. it's just, just going and see what it's like. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you the amazing joy that that, that that brings me to be able to do that. So um, thanks everyone. We're going to wrap it up. This is the whole truth. We'll see you next time. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC.